Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, two things quite unrelated. Um, the first is I want to thank the worship team for doing uh, He is Exalted. Um, I can never sing that song without being reminded of a time when Silas, our eldest son, was about five or six. And uh, one day he, he was walking around the house singing, uh, He is so salty, the king is so salty. Oh, Just worshiping away there. So I can never sing that song without having those lyrics in my mind. Um, anyway, um, it's great to be back. And uh, I did want to take an opportunity just to uh, thank the three brothers who stood in this place uh, in my absence over the past four weeks, uh, Ed Moreno, Jonathan Ebenezer, and Jonathan Platt. And I have heard nothing but good reports about the ministry that you received. Uh, and so it's just such an encouragement to know that there, God has implanted men in the church who are willing and able uh, to, to bless with their skills and bringing the word to you. So thank you, gentlemen, if you're here. I know uh, at least a couple of you are here, so bless you and thank you for that. Uh, we want to get into the word, but before we do that, let's take time as we do to uh, seek the Lord in prayer again. Let's pray together. Lord God, according to your word, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, uh, this passage in Amos you have breathed out, and Lord, you have breathed it out for the purposes of teaching and reproof and correction and training, uh, that we would be competent and equipped for every good work. Uh, Lord God, today we trust in the sufficiency of your word. We trust, Lord God, that by your Holy Spirit you continue to speak this word that you once spoke and that you continue to use it to work transformation in people's minds and hearts. And so we trust you, and we trust, and we have confidence in your word, and we pray now that we would be good listeners, uh, that we would approach your word with a sense of humility, and that you would come and bless and challenge and steer and do the things that you do with your word. We pray in the mighty and in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it was about 2,800 years ago in the Middle East when there lived a prophet named Amos. The prophet Amos lived about 200 years or so after the kingdom of Israel had been split in two under the unwise governance of King Rehoboam. So that during the time when the prophet Amos was ministering, the kingdom had been split up uh, for quite a long while. You had Judah in the south with its own king and its own way of approaching things and doing things. And you had up in the north the kingdom called Israel with its own king and with its own way of doing things. Well, Amos, the prophet, was from the south. He was from Judah, but God had called him to go up north and prophesy in the northern kingdom called Israel. What was the basic shape of Amos's ministry? The basic shape of his ministry was this. He was to go up north and bring an awareness to the people that God was displeased with their religion. The people up north had been enjoying a time of economic prosperity. 
their king at the time, Jeroboam II, had been quite successful in his campaigns in regaining territory that had once been lost in earlier uh, battles and skirmishes. So he'd had success in regaining territory, and now affluence was making a comeback in the land. And concurrent with that affluence came a laziness concerning covenant obligations. Concurrent with the moneyed lifestyle that the the northerners were enjoying came a laxity in matters of morality and in matters of justice. To put it in summary terms, the religious life of the northerners had soured. And God called Amos to go prophesy against that soured religion. And of course, when one does that kind of ministry, you will never win any popularity contests. Well, there came a boiling point of sorts when Amos began to preach to the northerners that their sanctuaries would be laid waste and also that Yahweh, Israel's God, would rise up with the sword against the house of their king, who again was Jeroboam II, this kind of prophesying was not received well at all. So let's go to the text now, to Amos 7, verse 9, where we have the prophet Amos delivering that rather troublesome prophecy that we just mentioned. So in the last two lines of Amos 7, 9, Amos speaks directly from Yahweh, we have to remember, directly from Yahweh when he says to Israel, the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I, that is Yahweh, will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Wow. So it was these words of the prophet that provoked particular displeasure in more than a few in the crowd that day, one of whom was a man named Amaziah, who we now meet in verse 10. In verse 10, Amaziah is introduced to us, notice, as the priest of Bethel. Probably what that means is that Amaziah was the high priest of Bethel, and Bethel, there up in the north, was one of two locations where earlier in the history, under King Jeroboam I, golden calf shrines had been set up in both of these northern sanctuaries. Shrines whose purpose had been to replace the Jerusalem temple down in the south. Now, God had not authorized those shrines. Those shrines were, in fact, idolatrous, And they were loathsome to God. And now we learn here that this man Amaziah, this non-Levite, presided over one of those shrines. He presided over the one at Bethel. So that already in the story, we see here, friends, that there's something of a dark shadow that is hanging over this person named Amaziah. Now, presumably... When Amos preached those unwelcome words about the downfall of the sanctuaries, the downfall of the Bethel shrine in verse 9, presumably Amaziah had been in the crowd 
sending out tweets from his official Shrine account. But when Amaziah heard Amos preach about the downfall of the king, well, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Verse 10 says that Amaziah sent to his king. Amaziah fired off a text to King Jeroboam II, and the text read, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. Now notice there that Amaziah's accusation against the prophet Amos is an accusation of conspiracy, right? And specifically, conspiracy against the crown. Now this is a very serious charge. Amaziah paints Amos as somebody who's maybe trying to start a revolution against King Jeroboam. But notice what Amaziah says next in his text to King Jeroboam. He says, The land is not able to bear all of Amos's words. The land is not able to bear all of this prophet's words. Now this is a very peculiar statement. I want you to focus on that word bear for a moment. The, the land is not able to bear the prophet's words. In the original Hebrew, the word carries the sense of endure. The land is not able to endure these words of the prophet. What was Amaziah getting at here? Did he mean that if Amos was allowed to keep prophesying, his words would eventually overpower and overturn the status quo in the land. Did Amaziah mean that whatever stability there was up in the north, it was now being threatened by the word that Amos was bringing. The land is not able to bear all of Amos's words. The words that this guy is preaching are upsetting the apple cart. I think that when Amaziah says that the land is not able to bear all of Amos's words, what is being emphasized at the very least is that there was, listen, a strange power about Amos, a strange power about his words. And Amaziah is saying to his king, King, you better be aware of this. Now you and I know from our study of the scriptures that the words that Amos was speaking were the words of God himself. Amen? And friends, God's words... God's divine, authoritative, revelatory words, they always have a way of upsetting the settled arrangements of the world. Are you with me this morning? 
I was reading David Wells this week, and in his book entitled Above All Earthly Powers, Christ in a Postmodern World, Wells says the following about God's words. He says, Whether read or preached, the word of God has the power, listen, the power to enter the innermost crevices of a person's being. To shine light in unwanted places. To explode the myths and deceits by which fallen life sustains itself. And to bring a person face to face with the eternal God. Maybe as Amos preached God's words, Amaziah felt a wave of light in unwanted places. Maybe Amaziah felt unbearable conviction. Maybe Amaziah experienced a collision between his carefully ordered life and the truth of God. And his reaction was, we got to stop this prophet The status quo is comfy, and we want to stay in it. The prophet Amos must be silenced. Nowhere on Amaziah's radar was the fact that the very presence of Amos in the north was a mercy from God. It was a mercy that Amos had been prophesying like he had. The northerners, with their very loose morals and with their lack of justice for the poor and with their slackness concerning the covenant, they had effectively been barreling toward a cliff at 150 kilometers an hour with no brakes. And Amos had been sent to put down spike belts and a concrete barricade to save them from their mad plunge over the cliff. Amos had been sent by God to prophesy to the northerners, who, by the way, were still God's people, to prophesy to the northerners, now is the time to repent. And if you fail to do so, do so there will be very severe consequences. Amos' presence in the north was a mercy from God. But Amaziah failed utterly to perceive things in that way. To Amaziah, the prophet Amos was only perceived as a threat. A threat to what? A threat to Amaziah's loose life and the loose lives of his countrymen. And so Amos must be silenced. There was a strange and a tragic, very tragic appetite in Amaziah and in the northern kingdom to keep heading for the cliff. Let's go back to Amaziah's text that he's sending to his king. In in Amos 7.11, Amaziah writes, and I think probably now in all caps for emphasis, he says... Here's what Amos has been saying, King Jeroboam. He's been saying this. Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from the land. Can you believe this, 
king. This is what this guy has been preaching. Now, friends, at one time or another, we need to notice this. I think that all of us have probably done like Amaziah does here. Let's not distance ourselves too much from the bad guys in the story. Otherwise, the joke's on us, right? I think we've all done this. You're talking to a friend about someone you really don't like. There's always bad business. We've all done it. Talking to somebody about somebody you really don't like, and you embellish things a little bit to paint the disliked person in the worst possible light. That's what Amaziah does here. He embellishes or he changes what what Amos had actually said. And Amaziah does this, why? In order to paint Amos in the worst possible light in the eyes of King Jeroboam. Amos never said specifically that Jeroboam himself would die by the sword. No, the record shows that what Amos had actually said was that the house of Jeroboam would be afflicted by the sword. In other words, Jeroboam's dynasty would be afflicted by the sword. But Amaziah changes that in his text conveniently to Jeroboam shall die by the sword. And... Amaziah also conveniently omits something. He omits the fact that Amos had shown genuine concern for the spiritual state of the northerners when Amos twice had interceded in prayer over them and for them. Amaziah omits all of that. So what we have is Amaziah crafting his message to King Jeroboam II. Amaziah designs this thing so that Amos is painted in the worst possible light. Now notice this very carefully, friends, because there are obvious contemporary parallels. Notice that Amaziah goes, where does he go? He goes to the state here. He goes to the government with a false, unflattering picture of God's prophet. All in an attempt to get government to squelch out the message of the prophet. To get government to squelch out the revelation of Almighty God. Now you and I find ourselves alive right now. Everybody in this sanctuary is alive right now. We find ourselves alive right now in this time of history, and we are commissioned as followers of Jesus Christ to go make disciples of all nations right now in 2019. And there will be Amaziahs out there. There will be those who would use government, if possible, to silence us altogether in the marketplace of ideas. And as Christian people, we should not be surprised when the government complies with those ideas or even takes initiative in such projects, as is beginning to happen all over the place in North America. T.J. Betts, who supervised my doctoral studies down at Southern, 
writes this. Christians should not be surprised when enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ attempt to use government to suppress the proclamation of the gospel. They should not be surprised when the government supports those enemies. Friends, there are many people in our culture who hate the proclamation of the word of God at any level in the land. Why? The root of it, I think, is that the word of God always and forever questions the status quo. God's words have a way of upsetting the agreed-upon apple cart of the culture. And so some in the culture around us have no issues whatsoever with misrepresenting us, caricaturing us, like Amaziah does with Amos, if it means that our influence as Christians in the land will be smothered and silenced. I think in such a situation, we must ingest and digest and take comfort in the words of our captain, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who is coming again. Jesus says to us right now, blessed are you. There's a blessing on you when others, what? Revile you and persecute you and utter, as, all, as Amaziah did, all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. What are we to do? Rejoice! Rejoice! And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets. Maybe Jesus is thinking here of Amaziah persecuting Amos as one example. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Ingest those words. Digest them. Live into them. Live out of them. Eat the scroll. Eat the words of, the God, of, of our Lord God, of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Amos 7. <clears throat> what we notice after Amaziah's text is sent to King Jeroboam in verse 11 is that Jeroboam doesn't respond. <laughs> so we don't get a reply from Jeroboam. Instead, what we get is Amaziah now turning his attention directly to the prophet Amos himself. Now things are heating up. Amaziah decides to be confrontational. He puts his cell phone away. He, he decides to be confrontational now, and he approaches the prophet of God. Amaziah says to Amos, listen to what he says. O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Now, a couple of things here. The word that Amaziah uses in verse 12 as he tells Amos to flee is a Hebrew word that's found commonly in contexts where a person is fleeing or running from danger. So the idea here is, run from danger, Amos, or run for your life. 
What's Amaziah doing? Amaziah wants Amos to believe that danger is going to come on Amos's head if Amos sticks around and keeps preaching. Amaziah is using a tactic here to scare off Amos. And Amaziah says, notice, he says to Amos, go eat your bread in Judah. That saying, eat your bread, is about making a living. Amaziah is implying here that Amos was making his living as a professional prophet. And that Amos should go back home to the south and make his living down there. Go earn your fees for prophesying in Judah, Amos. We won't be paying you to prophesy up here in the north. Get lost. Now again, friends, all of this, isn't it? This ancient word of God is so very contemporary. What Amaziah says to Amos here is effectively this. We can contemporize it a little bit. This is the unauthorized Dunbar paraphrase. Always dangerous, but here it is. Amaziah is saying to Amos, go back to the Bible belt from where you came, Amos. If you want to thump your Bible, go down south where you have an audience. If you didn't get the memo, Amos, up here in the north, we are progressives. And we like the world that we have constructed for ourselves. It feels right to us. Your words and your message are most unwelcome here, Amos. You need to disappear and go back to backward Judah from where you came. Does that sound contemporary? In other words, Amaziah says, we are passionate for the cliff that we are heading to at 150 kilometers an hour. We hate the word of God that you have brought that draws question marks around us. Go home where you belong. Keep your religion to yourself. It doesn't work for us. Now, when we read what Amaziah says to Amos here in verses 12 and 13, Amaziah sounds. He sounds a little authoritarian and a little threatening, doesn't he? There's no room for discussion. Amos has to leave. End of story. This is the decree of Amaziah. But friends, the question that is bubbling up from the text of Scripture here is this question. Who actually has authority in this instance. Does Amaziah, the high priest of the shrine, have authority here like he assumes that he does? Or does King Jeroboam II have authority? Well, the answer is, and I can't put it any better than Gary Smith has put it in his commentary on Amos, he says, the king and priest do not determine God's message or the place where God sends his prophets. Yes? Amaziah and Jeroboam had no 
ultimate authority over Amos. Amos had been chosen and he had been sent by God as a prophet. It's God who has authority over every square inch of reality back then and today. And God will have his way. Amen? We can rest assured that God will have his way. Watch what happens now in verse 14 and following. Now, finally, we've been waiting to hear from Amos. The prophet Amos gives an answer to the arrogant speech of Amaziah. Amos says to Amaziah, You got me pegged wrong, dude. I was no prophet. Probably you didn't say dude. That's not very prophetic sounding. (laughs) I was no prophet nor a prophet's son. But I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. In other words, Amos says, Amaziah, you seem to think, don't you, that I'm some sort of professional prophet that eats his bread or makes his living as a formally trained prophet. But I'm just a guy. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been trained in any of those professional prophetic guilds that are mentioned in Second Kings. I'm actually a tradesman. I'm a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. That's how I earn my keep. But Amaziah, I can tell you what happened to me. Verse 15. Yahweh, the Lord, took me from following the flock, kind of like he did with David. Took me from following the flock, and Yahweh said to me, Go prophesy to my people, Israel. In other words, Amos says here, you know, one day I was out there dressing figs. I was cutting figs open on the trees so that the ethylene releases and they ripen. I was out there minding my own business when suddenly God showed up out of nowhere and God commissioned me to go prophesy even though I lack formal seminary training, and I obeyed, and I went, and here I am up in the north standing in front of you, Amaziah. See, what Amos is doing here, friends, is he's telling Amaziah that just the the plain facts about how he'd been, been commissioned by God. What had happened was that God, as ultimate authority, had come to Amos, and God had commanded Amos to go up north to start prophesying the words that God gave to Amos. It was as simple as that. Amos had obeyed the ultimate authority and God had enabled and God had empowered this tradesman to do the ministry that God had wanted done. So that the reason that the land could not bear Amos's words was that God was in it. God had been speaking through Amos. Amen? It was God's words, and not Amos's words per se, that had been rubbing Amaziah the wrong way. 
the conflict of feelings and emotions that Amaziah found himself in was about him and God, not about him and God's messenger. To loosely paraphrase our Lord Jesus Christ here, light had come into Amaziah's world through the mouth of Amos, but Amaziah loved darkness rather than light because Amaziah's works were evil. And that, friends, was Amaziah's problem. That's why he wanted to be rid of God's word. And it's the same thing today. You and I need to know that the world has a problem with God. Amen? The unfolding of God's words give light. And the world rails against that because the world's works are evil and the world loves darkness. The fallen world has a problem with God. And so the world tends to hate faithful churches and faithful believers who maintain and who proclaim the distinctive upside-down convictions that are set forth in the Word of God. Returning to the text, Amos has just explained to Amaziah the calling and the commission that God had put on Amos' life, and now, notice the irony, irony of ironies, Amos prophesies to Amaziah, even though Amaziah has made it very clear that he detests Amos is prophesying. Well, he's going to get it anyway. Verse 16, God says to Amaziah through the mouth of Amos, God is saying this to to Amaziah. He says, now, therefore, hear the word of Yahweh. This is the word of Yahweh. Amaziah, you say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Now, that's a very accurate representation of what Amaziah had been saying to Amos. Don't prophesy, don't preach. The word translated preach here is quite literally, it's an interesting word, it's quite literally drip or drop. Don't drip the word of God. Don't drop the word of God, Amos. Amaziah's great desire had been that Amos would stop dropping God's word on the north like rain drops from the sky. Stop raining your preaching on us, Amos. Now, what's interesting here is how Amaziah, we need to notice, he was a priest, but yet this priest, of all people, didn't want the word of Yahweh proclaimed in Israel. Isn't that interesting? A priest who doesn't want the word of God. This was a religious priest who couldn't bear the truth of God's word. There's a saying attributed to an old preacher that says this, there's nothing more obnoxious to an established religion than the gospel. (laughs) There's nothing more obnoxious to an established religion than the gospel. Amaziah had no stomach for the truth that Amos had brought. Amaziah represents what? He, He represents established religion that is intimate with government. Never, ever has that been a good mix. (laughs) Ever. Amaziah was a priest 
who was very comfortable in his affluence, and now this disruptive word from God through Amos about the danger that the north was in was just too much for Amaziah to bear, and so he attempted to kill the word of God, to end its transmission. Amaziah reminds us here of the high priest during the time of the apostles in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5, the high priest says to the apostles, this is the high priest talking to the apostles who are bringing the gospel. He says, we strictly charged you not to teach in the name of Jesus, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Very threatening, right? How did the apostles respond to the high priest in that moment? They said, we must obey God rather than men. And they proceeded to preach Jesus to the high priest. Amos in our passage does something very similar. In verse 17, Amos is constrained to preach because God had authorized him to do so. Amos will not be intimidated by the high priest Amaziah. And now this tradesman Amos preaches. And what he preaches is a condemning word from God to the priest Amaziah who had wanted the word of God muted. What Amaziah hates and does not want, Amos now gives him. And the medicine tastes bad going down Amaziah's throat. Amos says to Amaziah in verse 17, therefore thus says the Lord, says the Lord. Yes, the Lord will still speak despite you, Amaziah. Thus says the Lord, your wife, Amaziah, high priest over the north, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city. That is, the woman who is currently first lady of the high priest, enjoying all the perks of that position, she will come to a place in life where you, Amaziah, will no longer be around. She will have no more of your income. She will be destitute, and she will have to resort to prostitution in order to support herself. God continues, Your sons and your daughters, Amaziah, shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. That is, your land is going to be split up and parceled out to the foreign army that will shortly invade Israel. And, the Lord continues through Amos, you yourself, Amos, shall die where? In an unclean land. That is, you, Amaziah, you're going to be carried off into exile to a place outside of Israel to a ritually unclean land where you will die and you will be buried in unclean dust. Now, to a priest, this was the ultimate humiliation. To die in an unclean land. Amaziah would be carried off in exile to Assyria in 722 B.C., never to return to Israel again. And, says Amos at the end of the verse, verse 17, Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. And, of course, that happened, didn't it? 
the prophet's word came true in 722 B.C. when Assyria took over the northern kingdom. Now, isn't this harsh of God? In verse 17, Amaziah would die in unclean Assyria after losing all his land. Amaziah's wife would have to resort to prostitution to support herself without Amaziah around. And Amaziah's kids would all die at the hand of the Assyrians. This sounds so Old Testament harsh to many of us. Well, what we need to realize, friends, is that this Amos story, I want you to notice, is actually just a single piece of a much larger motif that emerges as we read the entire Bible. We'll work this toward a close now. To quote T.J. Betts again, the name of this larger motif is, One Treads on Dangerous Ground, when one opposes the messenger of the Lord. One more time. One treads on dangerous ground when one opposes the messenger of the Lord. This is a great motif that we find in the scriptures, and this Amos story is just a piece of the larger motif. Other pieces of this motif include the following. Consider the story of Korah, leading a rebellion against Moses, the messenger and prophet of God. What was the result of Korah's rebellion? To quote Numbers 16, verses 32 and 33, here's how Korah's rebellion ended. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up Korah and his rebels with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Korah rebelled against God's appointed prophet Moses and the earth swallowed Korah alive. One treads on dangerous ground when one opposes the messenger of the Lord. Another thread of the same theme in the Bible is the rather difficult story of some kids jeering and mocking God's prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 2. It's a very difficult story. What was the fate of those kids who dared to mock God's prophet? To quote 2 Kings 2.24, two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. One treads on dangerous ground when one opposes the message messenger of the Lord. And we can see the same theme in the story found in Jeremiah 28. There, the true prophet, Jeremiah, came up against a false prophet named Hananiah. Hananiah prophesied a false word that disagreed with the true word of Jeremiah. And what was the result for Hananiah? Well, let me read Jeremiah 28, 16, and 17 to you. In verse 16, God himself says to Hananiah this. God speaks to Hananiah, the false prophet. This year you shall die, because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. And in verse 17 we read, In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. 
Again, one treads on dangerous ground when one opposes the messenger of the Lord. Well, the supreme messenger of the Lord, the superlative prophet, Jesus Christ, was opposed to death by the Jerusalem establishment who wanted to preserve the status quo. The people could not stand Jesus. They could not stand his message and the way he had been stirring up the community, so they nailed him to a cross and let him die. But before that happened, the ultimate prophet Jesus, who also happened to be God in the flesh, prophesied the downfall and the destruction of Jerusalem. In Luke 19, verses 43 and 44, as Jesus wept over the city that would kill him, he said, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And sure enough, in A.D. 70, the Romans came in and besieged the city of Jerusalem and conquered it. One treads on dangerous ground when one opposes the messenger of the Lord. This is a fabric, a motif that recurs again and again throughout the Bible. Well, let's talk about us as we close. Let's talk about the church of Jesus Christ. The church is called authoritatively by God, like Amos had been called. The church of Jesus Christ is also given God's authoritative word, like Amos had been given. The Bible is our constitution. It is the revelation of Almighty God. It is living and active. And the church is also commissioned, aren't we, to go, like Amos also had been commissioned to go to the northern kingdom. We are to go and make disciples of every nation. The church today, friends, is to act like God's messenger on the earth. All the examples that we have just enumerated of prophets and messengers getting static and getting difficulty because of the authority of God that they carried, these all have application over our lives as believers. First of all, we need to understand today that we are not above our master who was persecuted and crucified. We are by no means exempt from persecution. We like to think we are in North America, but we're not. As believers, we must expect persecution, in fact. The prophets and messengers of God before us were reviled. They were persecuted, as we've seen today. Why should we, who are the messengers of God today, expect anything substantially different? The Apostle Peter wonders why the possibility of being persecuted for our faith should be so surprising to us. 
and so rattling to us. He says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, he's speaking to you and he's speaking to me, do not be surprised. I mean, don't get all caps on Twitter and be all shocked and surprised by this. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But then Peter adds, but rejoice in so far as you what share Christ's what sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed friends we would be wise to understand our position under the master Jesus who was ultimate authority and yet persecuted He was the martyred messenger of God. Jesus had come in a long line of prophets like Amos and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Moses and others who had been on the receiving end of persecution. Why should we think it will be different for us? But then let us also remember that sentence we've been repeating today. One treads on dangerous ground when one opposes the messenger of the Lord. Those in 2019 who are actively opposing the church and persecuting Christians, those who are doing that are actually opposing Jesus, the Lord of the church, and thus they are in the highest danger imaginable. There will be a great reckoning one day for unrepentant persecutors of Christ's church. But while we we are on the battlefield, let us remember that our captain has divinely and sovereignly declared that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Those who oppose us because we hold to the word of God may indeed appear to win skirmishes in the now. But they will not, they cannot ultimately win the war because Jesus has declared that they can't. So we have hope as we continue to go forward into a dark world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Amos Let's not be intimidated by the Amaziahs around us. Let's recognize that we live and work under the authority of none other than God Almighty. And let's keep carrying out our mission in the power of the Spirit with Christ-like boldness, wise as serpents, and gentle as doves. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We thank you for um, battle instructions and encouragements like the one that we have spent time with today. We thank you, Lord God, for your power at work among us, for the promises you have given. You have a 100% record with your promises coming true. There's never been a promise you've made that hasn't come true. And we know that the promises for the future... Uh, to the second coming and eternity, Lord, are going to come true and are coming true. 
And so we thank you for your authority. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your power, for your presence with your church. In Jesus' name.